Welcome to Video Store. I am Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1958 Alfred Hitchcock classic Vertigo. So let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how you doing? I'm fine, Sam. Thanks. Well, this is a this is a fitting movie to do for our 25th episode. That seems sort of a, a monumental uh, a monumental point. Um, and this is one of your favorite movies, right? Yeah, it is actually, and yeah. uh, made made in the year I was born. So, there you oh, go. really? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe let's start with um, sort of your history with this film, because this film actually has an interesting history in terms of it was sort of out of circulation for uh, for a chunk of time, right? And then in the eighties, it sort of comes back. Yeah, yeah, I came back in I think eighty three, and then there was a significant restoration done, and that was released. I think it was in ninety six. So. Yeah, so it was a, a movie that wasn't available for a long time. Um, so did you not see it before 83? Yeah, that's right. And I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. The, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but my most significant memory of re-watching it was I have a friend who's also kind of a kind of a Hitchcock buff, and uh, he also really likes Vertigo. He and I watch a lot of classic films together. So we did a trip to San Francisco one year. To, we were there for a film noir festival, but in our spare time, we did a little bit of a Vertigo tour and visited a number of the sites. That's so, super cool. Yeah, yeah. Really one, like one year when he was out there by himself, he actually drove down to the mission. And oh, uh, really? Yeah, I did that part of the tour as well. So wow. So so, what is your history with with Hitchcock as a filmmaker? You know, the first the first Hitchcock film I ever saw on, on TV, of course, as so many of my early film experiences were, was actually with The Birds. That's mine as well. Yeah, I was pretty was young and I remember it was on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I remember, you know, I'd heard all about how terrifying Hitchcock was. And, you know, I was probably 10, 11 years old, whatever. And it was pretty scary. I mean, it made a pretty strong impression on me. Um, and then I actually went back and, and rewatched The Birds just a couple of years ago, and I was kind of uh, newly impressed by it. Um, so so I, I, I did The Birds, and then I did a bunch of the, um, you know, Rope and Man Who Knew Too Much, um, To Catch a Thief, Dial M for Murder. Uh, Rear Window was one that for a number of years I didn't think much of, but as I watched it, as I've watched it several times, I've re it's really grown in my estimation as well so not surprisingly two of the two of the four films he made with jimmy stewart are among my favorite hitchcocks sure sure i will say for me i um i am a big i'm a big fan of the movie rope mostly because i am a sucker for like like leopold and Loeb type stories like mm -hmm. perfect murder type stories and how that drives people crazy i love um i love crime and punishment as a mm. book like like so i any story that's in that direction i'm gonna be drawn to i don't know what that says about me i probably don't want to know what that says about me but i'm that type of story fascinates me um i've said before i'm not a huge fan of of like mysteries so actually i like the stories where you know what happened and you watch that happen mm -hmm. to some you watch people deal with what happened um I think I talked last week about go, uh, in Paris going to see uh, Dr. Strangelove in this little theater late at night. Uh, I also saw Rear Window in that same theater a few years earlier. And that was a, partially that was just a great experience. I don't think I had actually seen Rear Window before. It's one of those things that gets parodied so many mm -hmm. times. But to actually see it, I really like that. And then I had never seen Psycho until about two years ago. It just mm. never... It, it never sort of crossed in front of me and I, I watched it and I, I was blown away by that. I thought that was really great. Um, and sort of better than I expected it was going to be. Um, 
where does this film fit into Hitchcock's career? So wh- Hitchcock in 58, what would that mean? That's, that's pre-Psycho, yeah, that was, right? That's Yeah, so it's, you know, it's right, it's, uh, right before Psycho, uh, right after, uh, I think it was right after The Trouble with Harry, um, which had Vera Miles in it. And Vera Miles was supposed to be in Vertigo, and then she got pregnant, and, uh, uh, and so he settled on Kim Novak instead. But it's, it's getting into late Hitchcock. Um, and really, I think that, it's his second to last great film because um, after this he makes Psycho, and then you know the sixties are kind of hit and miss for him. Um, Marnie, Topaz, um, and then into the seventies he makes Frenzy and Family Plot, which I've still never seen. So I would say this is kind of the peak of his career in a, in, a, okay. in a way. How was he regarded at the time? Because one of the things that's been interesting reading about this movie is how, in the moment, it people maybe didn't think that much. Some people didn't think that much of it. And then even over time, really over the last 20 years, it's, it's increased in terms of its critical appraisal. So like, like in 58, how would people have thought about, Oh, Hitchcock has a movie coming out. Was he one of the great filmmakers? Was he sort of put in a box of, Oh, he makes these types of movies. What? Well, I mean, I think, I think it's actually kind of both and with that, Sam, I, 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 he, he was regarded, I think as a great filmmaker. I mean, he was somebody that the French new wave uh, was taking seriously. You know, Truffaut did a famous uh, book of interviews with Hitchcock. So he was, yeah, he was considered a significant artist, but at the same time, one of the reasons maybe why Vertigo was not as well received as many Hitchcock films are is because it really wasn't in the Hitchcock mode, you know. And and, and one of those things that you alluded to earlier is that, um, you know, the the mystery is revealed uh, earlier in the film and is typical of Hitchcock. And so I think a lot of people didn't like that. Some people thought the pacing was too slow. Um, so there were it didn't have for some people the the tautness. Uh, that a typical Hitchcock film should have. So in a way, I think the disappointment of the film is a testament to the regard with which Hitchcock was held, because there are people who felt that it just really wasn't up to Hitchcock's standards because they wanted him to make a film that was maybe more like Man Who Knew Too Much or To Catch a Thief, and that's not what he was what he was doing in this case. Why Why do you think this movie has has increased? Because even, I mean, we talked last week about the, the BFI list, how this is the number one. And again, we can say what you want about movie rankings. This is the number one movie on that list. Um, even in the AFI list, I think the, the 1997 list, it was in like the 60s or 70s. And I think it's in the top 20, maybe even top 10 in the 2007 list. So like it has really rapidly risen in terms of how people think about that. Why is it that now this movie is viewed the way it is? Well, you know, I think part of it is, as you said earlier, Sam, you know, it, it was out of circulation for a while. Uh, and that kind of added a bit to the mystique of the film. And that doesn't necessarily assure it's going to have a better reputation. But I think that people kind of went back to it with different eyes. And so, you know, think about watching a film like this in, in 1958 versus watching a film like this in 1985. Um, and I think, you know, in those intervening, intervening years, I think that people were much, much more drawn to films with the kind of psychological complexity uh that this that this film has and i think people have become also much more thoughtful or self-aware about uh the act of watching movies which is one of the things this film is about so i think it has a it has a certain maturity uh that maybe people weren't quite ready for in in 1958 and as i said for hitchcock it is a longish film and um you know hitchcock used to say that no film should exceed the limits of the human bladder 
Uh, and so it's r rare for him to make a film over two hours long. And but but in but in the intervening years, there's lots of longer, you know, more artsy films. So in some ways, maybe you could say it was a bit ahead of its time. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also you know, and there is a tendency with a lot of works of art um, for there to be a necessary period of time for kind of reevaluation. You know, a lot of films on that AFI or BFI list, a lot of those films were not huge successes when they first came out. You really need a little bit of distance of time to see what's what's really going to stand up. And I think that it, with the time, as the time goes by with Vertigo, the the, the themes that he's tapping into uh, are are really persistent. You know, it's not a. I mean, even it's ironic that even though it's a film that's very much of San Francisco, it also has a kind of a timeless quality to it uh, because mm -hmm. of the nature of the relationships. So I want to clear out a little bit of space here and just I want you to tell me why you like why you love this movie. Why is this movie great? I realize that's not much of a question, but it's more like clearing space out to uh, to let you talk about something you love. Well, I just alluded to one reason I like it, Sam, and that is I, I really like art that interrogates art. Um, and, and I think, you know, th th this, this is a film that asks us to think about what we are doing both when we make films and when we watch films. So, you know, Jimmy Stewart is the stand-in for Hitchcock in this film. Hitchcock was famous for the way that he treated or mistreated his actresses, or his actors in general, actually. He treated them like cattle. That was one of his remarks, that the actors are like cattle. So there's a, there's, so there's a sense of um, the self-reflective artist recognizing himself in, in the Jimmy Stewart character. But then there's also the sense that we as viewers are engaging, and I've said this before, I think, in this, in this podcast, that watching films almost always ends up being a form of necrophilia because um, you know a lot of films, classic films, you're watching dead people. And, um, you know, so if I watch a film with Veronica Lake and I think, gee, that Veronica Lake, she's a, she's a really attractive, well, she's long, long dead. So there's, so there's a certain amount of um, kind of bizarre fixation on that, which is no longer alive, which completely, of course, uh, replicates what Jimmy Stewart's character is doing. So, so to me, I mean, I just, as I said, I, I, I love a film that is, it's entertaining in its own right, but then you can go down the route of all that kind of self-reflexivity. Um, secondly, uh, the film just has great performances. I think it's one of, I think it's one of Jimmy Stewart's probably three or four best performances. And Stewart was always at his best when he found a director, uh, um, Anthony Mann was another one who made the Westerns with Stewart. When he found a director who could tap into that dark side of that kind of all-American boy that he that he was, and you see that a little bit in, um, you know, it's it's a wonderful life, but 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 here it's really, I mean, one of the reasons why the film gets under your skin is because Scotty is a creep. Um, I mean, he's sympathetic and you like him, but then you realize as you go further along, the man has a serious psychological problem, um, and he's a control freak in terms of when he remakes Judy in, into Madeline. So the way that Scott never entirely loses loses my sympathy but at the same time he's a little repulsive i just think that that's interesting and i also love the way that they play midge um barbara belgettis is very good in this film the way they play midge off um judy madeline so i know so, so to me is a really interesting there's well there's several love triangles as well right there's a love triangle with the dead carlotta and so i also love the way the plot is is put together even though some people have criticized the film for having kind of a sloppy plot but i kind of like i like the sloppiness of it 
Yeah, I, I will say now <laughs> you mentioned this last week. And if anybody goes back and listens to the our first episode, I had sort of mentioned how Vertigo was not not my favorite film. Now, I, I want to start by saying this is not a uh, bringing up baby situation. I like the movie Vertigo. <laughs> it's just, you know, part of it is, I think, because I was probably born into or grew up in a world where this movie was already highly regarded. So when I saw it, I went into it with the same anticipation that I had when I saw other things, when I saw The Godfather, when I saw um, Citizen Kane, when I saw Casablanca. So like, so I was expecting, I like, part of it is is a product of expectations um and i will say like i so i've seen this movie three times all within the last 10 years and twice within the last probably 18 months um i i so so this is a movie that i that i will keep going back to because there is something about it that draws me in i love the first half of this movie i love <laughs> the carlotta like um and I'm going to bring up a name and I feel a little scared to bring up this name because I'm sure you'll tell me that I'm wrong um, because this is a filmmaker you love, but like this time watching it, um, I just kept thinking, okay, if you just told me the story of this movie and especially the story of the first half of this movie without much explained, it's like, I feel like, Oh, I want David Lynch to make that movie. Cause there <laughs> is something about like when he's driving around and like, especially when she goes into that alley and goes, into that door and he's following her and all of a sudden you're in this like dark hallway and where is this and then you open up and there's a flower shop and i'm like this it, it has the feel of um certain works of art that i that i've encountered uh and I'll, I'll i'll mention two and these are very different things um but there there's a, a moment that in in the through the first half of this film that reminds me of the different times i've sat down to rewatch twin peaks where yeah. like for the first season of Twin Peaks, I am so mesmerized and drawn in. And this movie does that as well. The other the other thing it reminds me of is when I read George Eliot's Adam Bede. And I got th through the first half of that book and I was just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. This is like, I was so drawn in. All of these things sort of disappoint me in the second half. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, and so I will say anything that I, that I sort of feel kind of disappointed by in this movie is... The fact it's it's in part the product of expectations and in part the first half is so good it draws me in so much and then it's just that i just i sort of want something i don't and i don't even know what i want and now this goes back to something you keep saying about well it's not about necessarily what i want it's what the filmmaker wants to make <laughs> and i understand that tension but that that's sort of i guess what i'm feeling now i will say listening to you talk about it and i read a number of essays about this movie because i'm really trying like i really want want to to understand sort of why people love this movie so much and it's the kind of thing where when i read about it or i hear you talk about it i'm totally convinced i'm like yes that is that this really is amazing but then when i watch it i sometimes feel like i wish i was watching more the thing i'm reading about or more the thing you're describing like i just don't know that i always I feel like I have to bring that to it. And and so, so then I have this feeling of like, are we all trying too hard to make this something that it's not? So that, that's the tensions that I'm feeling, but I really, I really do love this. Uh, I really do love the first half of this movie and like this movie a lot. So I want, I want you to know that um, as I watched it, it is also a gorgeous movie. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, um, again, this is all, I'm going to bring up David Lynch again, but that red restaurant that they go to twice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I could live forever in in like in that scene. Like it is so, the color is so amazing. I don't know if that's a real place or a place that he created to film, but it wow. was. 
It was um, really unfortunately, Ernie's is closed, but uh, it, it, it was it was a real place. Did it look yeah. like that though? Yeah, I mean, the yeah. color yeah. that red yeah. is absolutely amazing. Yeah, and then she, when she's wearing green and just the way those colors pop off, and I will say the other color that uh, that blows me away is I get lost in Jimmy Stewart's eyes in this movie. Oh, are they, his eyes are amazing, amazing. Yes, yes. So. Well, so- <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned the look of the film, Sam, because, you know, another element of, I think, what, what does make it a great film is the cinematography, both in terms of set design and the way that's shot, but also, you know, some of the innovative, um, you know, the, the vertigo effect, which was invented for the, for the film, you know, where, they, where they're pushing the camera forward and zooming the lens back um, to give you that sense of his, his, his vertigo. But the cinematographer was uh, Robert Burks, who uh, worked with Hitchcock on uh, 12 different films, actually. Uh, almost all of his films throughout the, uh, the 50s. And Burks was really one of the great uh, cinematographers. Uh, and he was, he was capable of um, different styles. He was as comfortable in black and white as he was in color. And he was obviously innovative in terms of the, some of the special effects that you see in the film. So I think that's one of the other elements that's really important about the film. And, and the second one I would mention, which is maybe even more important, I think is the score. Um, so Bernard Herrmann is the, uh, it, it, it was the composer. And um, David Thompson has a, has a book called The Biographical Dictionary of Film. And uh, in it, in his entry for Bernard Herrmann, he talks about the fact that um, his book shamelessly ignores, by and large, most film composers. But if he was going to include one, it had to be Bernard Herrmann, uh, and he just considered considers Herrmann the greatest of all uh, film film composers. And it's interesting that Herrmann is a link between the top two films on the BFI list because he was the composer for Citizen Kane. Um, and Herman, in fact, started his career working with Orson Welles and the, with the Mercury Theater Productions and, and radio. Uh, and one of the last films he scored in his career was Taxi Driver. Hmm. Um, but but when but when Herman worked with Hitchcock, um, including uh, including on, on Vertigo, um, Hitchcock would actually bring him onto the set, and depending on the length of the music, Hitchcock would actually sometimes lengthen or shorten the scene. Uh, depending on what it was that that Herman wanted to, to score for it, um, and so it, 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 especially the scene where uh, where uh, Jimmy Stewart recognizes who Kim Novak's character is, the score, the the pace of that scene is really determined by Herman's score. So this is a film where Hitchcock really working closely with Herman and Burks. That was really kind of his his crew, uh, and I think those elements really also helped to make the scene, especially the music, really helped to make the film. Uh, remarkable. That's fascinating because I, I I tend to think of I mean I know that film is obviously a collaborative art, but you sometimes I sometimes slip into sort of you know auteur filmmaker the director is but that that whole that the story you just told is sort of amazing to think about the trust that you have in a particular uh, a particular composer to say how long does how long does my scene need to be to match what you're doing with the music is kind of interesting. Yeah, especially for someone like Hitchcock, who's kind of considered, you know, the hyper auteur. I mean, mm-hmm. Hitchcock was famous that, you know, he storyboarded everything. And basically the film was done before he started rolling the cameras. So for Hitchcock to be flexible like that is, yeah, is really quite, quite remarkable. Um, I want to talk about a, a scene you mentioned, uh, which as I was reading about this film, it sounds like it was uh, controversial even among the people 
putting the film together between Hitchcock and the studio. And that's the, the letter writing scene when Julie or Judy, excuse me, when Judy writes the letter mm-hmm. and then tears it up. But that's the moment where we sort of see uh, the mystery revealed uh, kind of in that moment. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that scene and um, how it functions in the story and sort of what the movie would be like if that scene wasn't there or wasn't, wasn't there, a, I don't know if the plan, because there was a cut of this film where Hitchcock took it out and the studio yeah. sort of said, no, you got to put that back in there. I don't know if he was going to put that, I presume he was going to put that revelation somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what's your thought about that scene where it is? Well, it's one of those rare cases where I think the studio actually was right. Um, you know, I spent so much time reading about Orson Welles and all the ways in which studio decisions ruined his films. And I, so I tend, I tend to want to trust the director. Uh, but in this case, I think Hitchcock was wrong. I think the letter writing needs to be in there, not only because of the, because of the reveal, because he, he'd already made the decision to reveal before the end of the film. I mean, he already knew he was going to put the viewer in the position knowing what was going on. So I don't, I don't think that that's a good reason to take it out. I think this, the reason to leave it in is it so deepens her, our understanding of her character. And it so helps us understand the fact that um, she is, she's exercising a certain amount of, of courage in, in staying and trying to face up to her relationship with Scotty. Um, and, and, you know, I think to a certain degree, it also helps us see that the film is, to a large extent, uh, the story is her story as well as Scotty's story. And so well, I think it, it tips the balance back towards her so that now when you watch the interactions between her and Scotty, you're seeing it through an entirely different lens now that you know her backstory. Yeah, I, I do. Th- I mean, is that the only point in the movie you're more familiar with than I am where we get really outside of kind of viewing this through Jimmy Stewart's eyes? Because it definitely I mean, she's alone writing. She's doing functionally voiceover as we're we're hearing what she's writing and then seeing her kind of flashback to that moment. Is that the only point where that? The only, the only other point I would say, Sam, is it also a very important uh, point for character is uh, after Midge visits him in the sanitarium and she goes to see the doctor. Right. And she says, you know, um, he's in love with a dead woman basically. And, and then you get that long, final shot of midge walk literally walking out of the movie she goes down the hallway that's the only i think that's the only other place where you actually get an outside perspective you could also argue you get an outside perspective even though he's in the scene uh at the corner uh the coroner's inquest when mm-hmm. henry jones playing the coroner tells says all those terrible things about him leaving the scene of the crime and all that uh, but in terms of what you're talking about i think it's really that other scene with midge yeah well actually as you say that one of the other questions I wanted to talk about was Midge as a character too, and, and her function in the story. But she actually, now that I think about it, there are scenes that start with her. Oh yeah. You know, and, and I feel like those are scenes where you start in her perspective. And then once he comes in, it's like the gravity has to shift over to him and, or, 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 or those, those scenes feel a little bit different. I mean, um, because we're definitely, he, he comes in and out of those scenes where, we sort of are with her the whole time in, in some of those scenes, you know, where, where he'll come in and she's painting, she's doing stuff. He'll come in, he'll leave. And then we're, we stay on her instead of staying with him. So maybe she's another character where we do get a couple moments of that. I would have, I actually would have, and again, I, 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 I realize I'm saying what I would want and that's not necessarily where I should go, but like in this, in the second half, I would have 
found it interesting to have it be more of Judy's movie, like like more of her perspective. And, and maybe that doesn't work, but um, but as I'm thinking about even what people are saying and the way that I'm, um, the the things that I'm reading, it's like I would that would have been really interesting if it if the second half would have been more of that. And maybe again, maybe that doesn't work. I don't think it would. I mean, despite okay. I, 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 right. I mean, what I said earlier that it's not just his movie, I think it's mostly his. It still has to be mostly his movie. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I don't know. I just think yeah. I think it's enough of her to create that tension. Yeah, and I and I think part of me part of me saying that is there's something about the second half that doesn't work for me. So I, so I'm trying to fix something that you probably look at and say, well, that's not broken, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, mean, I think yeah, that's, that's a piece of it. Yeah. That, that that to, to I don't know to, to to me Sam it's more of a the the second half of it actually it's really more the the last third um, it's about forty five minutes out of a two hour film that you get yeah. the, the the Judy story um, to me that's when the, that's when the interest really ratchets up I just I I, I just oh really but well because I I, I, I partly because I like to watch the arc of his character I, I I like I like watching that you know he sinks down to that depression and then. And then he rises, and then he becomes the control freak that Elster was. You know, he repeats he repeats mm-hmm. with her what Elster did, and and yet he can't see the irony of doing that. I just, I, I mean, that's I just really enjoy that kind of uh, that that irony. And I think part of what I like about the first half is I'm so interested in her, but we only get to see her from a distance. And so then I, you know, like so I think that's like I'm so I'm I, I'm so interested, not even so much in the mystery, but like. I guess it is the mystery because it's like, what is going on with this person? I want to know more about her. And then we get in. So I'm I, maybe I'm just less interested in Scotty. Ultimately. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that definitely could be it. Um, Can you talk about this film has a very abrupt sort of ending too. Yes. Uh, can you talk to me about, I realize this is a terrible question to just say, talk to me about the ending, but talk to me about the ending. I love, I, 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 I love the way it ends. I just think it's, it's beautiful. Um, one of the, one of the okay so one of the things I love about the ending is um, the way that uh, as Jimmy Stewart leans over to look at her body the way he the way he uh, poses right so he he looks like the the cop that has fallen at the beginning of the film in fact there's one theory which I do not credit but it's an interesting theory it just goes to show you that literary critics or film critics will come up with any idea they want there's the Albridge the occurrence at Albridge theory which you may know. Uh, you know, Ambrose Spears has this famous uh, short story, The Occurrence at Albridge. It takes place completely inside the mind of a man as he dies. So as he's being hanged, he has this whole story. And it, it kind of got picked up on what William Goldman did a version of that, or Golding rather did a version of that in a novel called Pincher Martin. Same thing. The whole novel takes place inside the guy's head as he dies. So the theory is, and of course, this is one of the things that the film does at the beginning. How the heck did he get off that that right. Road? Right. So the theory this critic has is that that he dies, right, that that he falls and dies. And the whole film that we've been watching is all happening inside his head. So you could say that the ending of the film and Jimmy Stewart taking that position of of, of a man who's fallen confirms that theory. Uh, But it also, of course, completes the idea that his, you know, it gets back to the idea of the idea of, of the vertigo. And there's something there's something about the abruptness that I just find very satisfying. Um, because it is like a fall. It is almost like you as a viewer have suddenly splat. And, and, uh, and of course, as you know, there was a, an alternate ending, which, uh, if you watch it, uh, is on the DVD. 
Um, it, it absolutely sticks out like a sore thumb is not working. Uh, it was one of those things where this is a case where the studio was wrong. Uh, they thought they needed to tack it on for the sensors, but it's, uh, it's back in it, but, but it's back in Midge's apartment, right? And it's back in Midge's apartment and she's listening to the radio and she hears that Elster has been arrested, uh, in, in Europe. And then Jimmy Stewart comes in and it's as though they're going to resume their relationship, which of course is completely impossible. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know any other way the film could end because, um, his life is essentially over. Yeah. And I, I need to say, I didn't ask that question as the, I don't like the ending. Tell me why I should like, I actually, that that's a part that is fitting with the first part of the movie where it's, it's even like that, the nun sort of rising up and appearing out of nowhere. It's, it's one of those things where when it, when it was over, I just looked the first time I saw it, I just looked around at the people I was with and I was like, what was that? Like, you know, in, 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 a, in a positive way, like, like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it just was, it, I didn't see that coming and that's all, that's sometimes a really great thing. And then it just ends and it's sort of ends and says, now think about it. And maybe that's, and maybe that's part of this is like, like I say, my appraisal of this movie, not my appraisal, my thoughts about this movie, um, increase as i read more about it this is definitely a movie that i that i want to know more about and i wouldn't be surprised like the history of this movie if 10 years from now you asked me about vertigo and i'd be like you know what it's actually one of the, it's like one of the great movies that i've ever seen <laughs> like I, I i i am um open to the fact that i am on that arc because i liked it better the third time that i saw it than i did the first time for sure i found sure. it i found it more interesting i found myself drawn to different parts well, as you, as you know, Sam, we kind of—I think you, you're sort of saying this in different ways—that there are there are the great works of art that we love, and there are the great works of art that we admire. Mm -hmm. um, I I cannot, for the life of me, fall in love with Picasso. Hmm. Um, I can admire him as an artist. I can appreciate him as a great artist, but I just don't care about looking at his art all that much. Whereas I could spend all day looking at anything Van Gogh did, mm -hmm. um, or or anything by the pre-Raphaelites. I mean, they're just. There's just, you know, some, some things you just respond to viscerally and, and you develop a deep love. There's other things where, you know, I mean, I love Orson Welles, but I have to say Citizen Kane is not my favorite Orson Welles film. I, I admire Citizen Kane, but I don't love it the way I love some, what, some of his films that people would, would consider lesser films, but I love those. So. Well, it's interesting you compare it to, you, you make the, the visual art comparison, because I've had the opportunity in, in travel courses to take students to museums in London and Paris and Munich. And one of the things that I always tell, because oftentimes students are there, they get so worked up or nervous about art that they're like, well, how do I, how do I know what's good or not good and what I should, and you know, what I tell them is to, whenever you enter a room in a gallery or a gallery room, like go to the middle of the room and sort of turn around 360 and just look at everything in there really quickly and see where the gravity of the room is. What pulls you towards it? And don't worry about whether it's the thing you should be looking at. There isn't a thing you should be looking at. These are already curated spaces, really. You know, so then it's like, like find the thing that pulls you towards it and then spend some time with that. And don't worry about, you know, don't don't worry about that so much. And I will say that's one thing this movie does have for me is it has that kind of gravitational pull where I keep thinking about it. I, there, uh, there, there is... 
parts of it that mesmerize me and I kind of want to go back and reading about it. The more I learn about it, the more I want to like, honestly, this conversation makes me feel like maybe I should watch it again this weekend. Maybe I should go back and look at it again. And, um, and so, so yeah, I, I do think this, this has a kind of pull and maybe it just, it's a movie that has a, I mean, it obviously has a long tail in its own life, but, but maybe it has a long tail in the life of viewing it too, that it's the kind of thing that it, it persists in a kind of way, uh, or at least it, it will for me. And, and I think for me, as I mentioned at the beginning, the fact that my relationship with this movie is entangled with my relationship of a, a very, a very since I was 13, and we've, we watch and talk about films a lot. And so Vertigo is one of his favorites. And so I think that that, that kind of, I, I get entangled in that as well. Because I know that when I watch a film with somebody who doesn't enjoy it, um, that often happens with my wife and me, that, that even if I've enjoyed it, when I hear that she hasn't enjoyed it, that actually somehow dampens my enthusiasm. Sure. Uh, so so uh, I want to maybe close. Well, actually, I'll let you. Anything else you want to talk about with this movie? And then I'll have a closing question for you. Yeah, I, I, a couple things I want to I want to talk about. I guess I, I want to connect the film to some of the others that we've watched um, fairly recently, actually. So, and this gets back to saying something about Midge. Um, I think the really the really obvious connection is to being John Malkovich. Uh, and the moment I thought about that was when Midge makes the mistake of showing Scotty the painting of herself as Carlotta. Uh, and so you get this notion that, you know, Midge and Scotty can be friends, but they can't be lovers. Uh, and so, and even her nickname Midge, right? That's a name, that's like a little, a little, a little bug. Um, you know, so both she, and then, and then it happens again with, with Judy, right? She says, if I let you change me, will you love me? And then she says later on, I let you change me because I loved you. And you get the same desperate sense in being John Malkovich, right? You know, if I could just be somebody else, then then, then you would you would care for me. Um, I also got a little bit of uh, uh, get low out of it. Um, uh, when Towards the end when Scotty says, one thing I need to do and I'll be free of the past. Uh, hmm. And that's another theme in this film, right? That, you know, uh, because Carlotta is obviously represents the past. But, you know, how, how can you be free of the past? And Elster says something really interesting, that he liked the old San Francisco uh, when men had power and freedom. So that whole notion of what it means to be free versus entangled. Um, and then the other thing is, you, you mentioned, we mentioned 360. Um, th the 360 shot after um, uh, Judy comes out of, out of, the, uh, out of the bathroom, uh, which is also a, a, when we watched um, Refor uh, First Reform, I mentioned that that 360 shot is kind of one of Hitchcock's great great legacies. And by the way, that shot of her coming out of the bathroom, uh, it's, I think it's Ebert says it's the single greatest shot in Hitchcock. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that is that is a completely fantastic shot um, because it's both completely naturalistic and it's dreamlike and it's very Lynchian uh, as well, the way, the way she comes out of that mist. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the other movie that I thought of um, only because... Uh, of some of the things that Hitchcock is doing in this movie, I thought a little bit about Memento. And what I thought about was when we were mm. talking about that movie, we talked about here's a character with a specific condition mm. that shapes part of this story. And the filmmaker is trying to give you that condition. Right. And Hitchcock is trying to do that with, with both the vertigo. But then as you point out, I mean, what I, what's interesting is you said earlier, you know, Scotty's not well mentally in, in lots and lots of ways. Right. Like, mm -hmm. Um, and the title tells you this is how he's not well. He has vertigo, but then we realize, well, that's one thing he has. 
but there are these <laughs> other things as well. And you know, there so there's there are these visual attempts to give you the sensations of of Scotty's vertigo, right? Trying to give you the condition of the character, and um, you know, and in the in like, this is maybe a back uh, a back half or back third issue is like I wish that I was better at at getting into Scotty's head to sort of have his condition for the second half, whether, you know, whatever that, or buying that condition or something. Um, and maybe that's a piece that, that I feel like, well, Nolan does that really well in Memento where I keep yeah. getting the character's condition And this one. When I hear you talk about, it, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's what's going on with him. But it's, it, I mean, it's for me, it's a little bit of, you can have characters tell each other that they love each other. But if I don't feel it always, then I'm like, well, I have to trust you, or, or I want, I want to, I want, I want them not to have to say it. And I think in this movie, there's time, and maybe this is a critique of performances, and I, and and that's, you know, we can have, we can differ on that. Like, I don't know that if they didn't say it, I would know, like, oh, Judy loves him, or he loves Judy, oh. or is there something else going on there? You know, so that's. Um, you know, I, I don't know. And and maybe that that's a, a second half or a second, third issue with me, too, is that I need to be told how they're feeling instead of I feel what I feel. how they're feeling. Well, that, that, that actually reminds me for some reason, Sam, that one of the reasons why Hitchcock thought maybe the film didn't do well at the box office was because of the age difference between the two. Um, I mean, Jimmy Stewart is exactly twice Kim Novak's age. Hmm. Um, and so that may be part of that also may tie into having a difficult time seeing seeing her love for him because it's right he's really a father figure more than a boyfriend figure right and 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 we see more of the damaged version of him maybe than she does too mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Exactly. yeah so so i want to i want to end on this question and i know part, part of why this movie came up right now had to do with looking at this bfi list and we talk about the afi list and um and those you know there's a silly degree of ranking and things like this, but, but do you think this is a deserving movie to be at the top of a list like that? Yeah, I, I think it belongs to the, I think it belongs in the top 10 of any list. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know that any movie belongs on the top. <laughs> sure. Well, and, I, and I think that's probably how we should think about lists. Anyhow, yeah. is like, there, here are, here are the, here are the, the Pantheon movies. And maybe we leave it at that. Like these are, these are the ones that are up there and we can debate about what, cause, cause there, there does, it does come down to, your personal history or experience with the film, your personal preference, style, things like that. But, um, but, but I mean, but, but it does belong in that upper echelon. And and that also, for some reason also makes me think that the other movie I should connect it to to reach back further into our conversations really is out of the past. Um, there, there's another example of a movie of, of a guy who um, uh, I think Robert Mitchum is a bit healthier than Jimmy Stewart in that film, but still, there's a guy with an obsession with a woman, and a guy also wrestling with it, with his past. And I would say that this film has certain noir elements for sure. So that's another connection I'd make. I I definitely thought of out of the past when I was watching yeah. it. So 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 this project is working because I I, I it definitely crossed my mind. Any last thoughts before we move to next week? Um yeah one one really interesting comment that uh, Ebert made, which is uh, it, it may be more clever than true, but I kind of like it a lot. He says um, it's interesting that um, the woman is named Madeline, which is the word for the French biscuit that Proust eats at the beginning of Remembrance of Things Past. Um, and you know, I mean, Hitchcock would have known Proust, so why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I also want to say that even though I have not read the novel on which this is based, I read about the novel, and I think that um, the adaptation, while it's faithful in a lot of respects, made some really important changes, and I think it sounds better than the original novel. So, um, check that out. All right, 
All right. So what do you have for us for next week? All right. Well, so uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a chance for next week, Sam. Um, I'm kind of on this kick with, I feel like last week and this week, we're, we're dealing with films that think about identity uh, and who am I in relation to other people. And so I can't resist saying that we need to watch Bergman's persona uh, in order to kind of complete this trifecta of identity films. Um, and and uh, I'll, I'll tell our listeners, be sure you get Berg, Bergman's persona, because I know there's other films out there called persona, but make sure that you go to uh, make sure that you're on Amazon Prime and it's Bergman's films. Otherwise, I'm not responsible for what you might watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to say, this is something that I've uh, I've never seen. I'm very excited about it. the only Bergman film I've seen is uh, the Seventh Seal, which I really yeah. like a lot. So, so this will be uh, this will be great. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm very excited. Uh, Barrett, thanks so much for uh, for recommending this film. Sort of talking we th- through it, listening to my um, probably not fully informed takes about what what uh, what doesn't land with me. And I again, I do want to say like I really like this film, and I love parts of it. So, uh, so thanks for talking with us about this and, uh, join us next week when we talk about the film persona. Persona.